Hey folks, it's Drac here. I just want to take a moment before the intro to thank you all for your patience. With this episode, it's taken me a while to edit, which I thought wasn't going to happen, and so many things got in the way of me editing this, and it's, uh, and I just appreciate y'all being patient with me. I just want to make sure I get the best content to you guys, and make sure that it's going to be something that you learn from, make sure it's something that y'all will take into account when you go out throughout life, and it just means a lot to me that y'all sat here and took the time and was patient with me. I'm so sorry that it took so long. Not going to happen in the future. This will be the only episode for this week. Reason being is because Thanksgiving. I hope you all have a fabulous Thanksgiving. And also to note that this episode was recorded over the internet and adhered to restriction guidelines. So make sure you're staying safe over the Thanksgiving week again. Make sure you take the precautions. Basically, stay away from people coughing and sneezing, all right? So have fun out there. Have fun with your families. And without further ado, let's get this get this show on the road. <laughs> The following episode of Flack with Drack contains discussions on the topics of sexual conduct, mental health, suicide, and rape. To all those listening, viewer discretion is advised. Welcome back to Flack with Drac and our first ever installment of Flack and Roundtable. Ladies and gentlemen, it's finally here. I have two very lovely ladies here with me today. Yeah, well, why don't you two go ahead and introduce yourselves. I'm Emily. <laughs> uh, this is Emily over here. She's awesome. Uh, and then we have Sarah over here. Sarah, go ahead and say hi. Hi, everybody. And awesome. Yeah, so ladies and gentlemen, y'all been wondering what the topic is, and I'm going to tell you what it is right now. Today's topic is going to be abortion. I know some of you have just turned off the podcast just hearing that, but the reason we wanted to start with a very contentious issue is because, I mean, heck, if we can find things that we agree on, on a very contentious issue such as this, I mean, heck, we can get through anything together, and that's really what this is all about. That's why we're talking. Really, it's not really about making other people agree with us. It's just about finding common ground and respecting each other at the end of the day. So really, that's what this is all about. So, um, Emily, why don't you tell us what your opinion is on abortion? Give us the lowdown. Do you believe in certain restrictions? Do you believe in full-on? Just what is your belief on abortion? I believe in pro-choice. I should believe Planned Parenthood should be fully funded. Everyone should have access to same-sex education. We should have, like, full-blown sex ed education. It shouldn't be abstinence only, like what we're taught here in Utah. And I think it's legit my body my choice every woman has the right to do whatever she wants with her own body okay awesome uh sarah what about you what's your opinion i believe that there are very very few rare cases where abortion should be legal yeah that's basically my stance in regards to abortion 
in particular. Are you, uh, are you pro-life? Are you pro-choice? So you say that. I'm uh, pro-life. Okay. For sure, for sure. Awesome. Yeah. And ladies and gentlemen, there's the divide. <laughs> okay. So yeah, um, let's just, uh, let's talk about this real quick. I mean, so with a lot of different things like um, Roe v. Wade and all the different sort of aspects, like Sarah was sort of uh, mentioning, there are certain, um, some folks who are pro-life do believe in certain aspects of abortion. And so, yeah, just go ahead. Just sort of start sparring here. What do you, what's something that you uh, find immoral about abortion? What's something that you think is immoral about restricting abortion? So forth. Well, for one thing, I personally believe that life is sacred. All life is sacred. That means animals, that means plants, and that especially means um, humans. And I believe that um, as soon as that sperm and egg make contact, that a being is created. And if the termination happens naturally, that's really sad and should be respected. But I don't think that that termination should be artificially created. Um, I just believe that that person is a person. I know that I personally, as soon as that happened with my parents, I was made and I'm so grateful for my life. And I want everybody to have the chance to have that same opportunity to live and have a family. And I believe that if a mother isn't ready or doesn't want the child, that there are other options that are much healthier for herself in terms of physically healthy and in terms of mentally healthy and for the child um, where they could do adoption services or foster and that those options are much, much better for everyone involved. Awesome, terrific. Well, so what, do you, what do you say to that, Emily? Um, I say that the foster care and, and adoption systems are not the best option to go to. Our foster care system is severely underfunded. In New York City alone, we have over 400,000 kids in the adoption system, in the foster care system. And of those kids, 20,000 of them are adoptable. The rest are statistically set to age out of the system into lives where they're gonna be living in poverty. They're set to not have jobs, to not have any experience of where to go. They don't have any access to like help, mental health, healthcare. They have none of that. And on average, they come out with an annual pay of $7,200 a year. They're at more of a risk to end up homeless than more kids. If you, with abortion, there are more stances than just not wanting a kid. Some people can't afford it. Some people health-wise, they cannot have that kid. Like, if, say, a woman wants a baby, her partner does not. If the partner is trying to fight for having, not having an abortion, but the mother cannot support that child on their own, then they are almost completely out of options. There are some chances where it's safer health-wise for the parent and the baby. Just yeet us the fetus, like. <laughs> oh my lordy. Okay then, all right. <laughs> I guess those are our sort of opening statements there. <laughs> okay, well, um, yeah, Sarah, do you have any comment on that? So from what I'm hearing from you, you are basically saying that because these children, I mean, even if they don't get adopted, they're probably gonna, they, there's a 
big chance that they'll live a impoverished life. I still personally believe that that life is sacred. Just because somebody's living in poverty or somebody is homeless, that doesn't mean that they're not worth, their life isn't worth living. Does that make any sense? So like, as you're saying that a lot of them will probably end up homeless and a lot of them will probably end up in poverty. I still think that that life is worth living. It's I'm not saying that their life isn't sacred. I'm saying that their life isn't going to be meaningful to them. I, I honestly, if my parents didn't want a kid, I would not force any type of unwanted pregnancy on my mother. If she, that would have connected a horrible bond between the two of us. She would have never wanted me. We would have like completely standoffish life for the rest of our life. And eventually it would lead to us having a no contact conversation. So yes, by being- At least you would still get the chance to live your life, right? I mean, even if I- would have affected my mother's mental health to a point where she probably wouldn't feel like living. I would say- With unwanted pregnancies, I have been for the past like weeks and texting me. I've been looking up statistics. Women who have unwanted pregnancies are most likely to have are more likely to have postpartum depression than women who have planned pregnancies. And it's more likely to be more and more severe that they have no access to health education. And it is one of the leading causes of women's death. It's 13% of women's death in their mortality rates. Uh, one thing I will say, let's make sure we're um, letting each other finish this. Uh, but uh, an interesting point that you brought up, I mentioned, uh, you actually mentioned, Emily, that you, um, one of the statistics you mentioned was actually from New York City. I was actually bringing up some statistics of my own as well from the CDC. <laughs> and so the interesting thing is, so the total amount of abortions in just New York City alone from the 2016 was almost 60,000 abortions. And that's not even a, a full-fledged number in terms of that. And so... Your argument is essentially that you're saying that a unwanted abortion is a very, well, excuse me, unwanted pregnancy is a very detrimental thing on someone's mental capacity. Is that what you're essentially saying? Yes, 100%. Sarah, what was something you had to say to that? I would say that I have done research, and I'm not saying that this happens to everyone, but um, there are people who I have spoken with who have had abortions, they think they don't want their kid. They're like, gosh, this is a terrible time in my life. I don't feel like I can support this child. And then for the rest of their life, that abortion plagues them. So it can go both ways. I can see how, I mean, especially if I was pregnant right now, I got pregnant. I'm not ready to have this baby. I don't have, I'm not married. Not that you have to be married, but I'm not in a situation where I would feel comfortable having that baby. And so I can see how that would be really stressful to me, how that could cause depression, how that could cause anxiety and all those things. But at the same time, on the opposite spectrum of that, if I had an abortion, I'm not ready. I'm going to have this abortion. It's probably not going to live a life that I would want it to. So I'll just terminate it. I would be plagued with that for the rest of my life. The thought of, I mean, even if it, even if I was gonna miscarriage on my own, I'm young, my body isn't probably ready to have a baby yet. It might just terminate it on its own, but that would still, that would still plague me for the rest of my life. I'm sure, I'm sure I would think about 
how old my kid would be. In 20 years from now, my kid would be turning 19. Oh, they might've had a graduation. They might've had this. Even if I wasn't in their life and I had given that baby up for adoption, I would still think about their birthday. You know what I mean? So that, that I say that can swing both directions for sure. That depression and that um, lifelong pressure and stuff from having that baby or not having that baby. Yeah, it totally can. I don't want to like diminish any women's like progress with this, like them having abortions, them not. Because yes, some women do like end up finding ways to support it, finding ways to go about it, finding help through like food banks, through different shelters, even like GoFundMe, different things. But at the same time, there are just so many people. And that what Matthew was pointing out with that statistic about in New York is most of these abortion statistics don't even include unsafe abortions. And unsafe abortions are what we're into, are what we're getting deeper into right now, especially with Amy, what's her bucket? I can never remember her name. <laughs> Being Wait, a what's her bucket? Did you just say what's I her can, bucket? You know, I can <laughs> never remember her freaking name. For the life of me, I cannot remember her name, but I can picture her face perfectly. But I just can't Amy remember Coney, her name. Yeah, Amy Coney Barrett. Amy yeah. Coney Barrett. I was saying Comey Barrett for a longest period of time. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was Comey Honestly, Barrett. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amy Barrett, that's, yeah, okay, ACB, that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Emily, you were saying? With her trying to overturn Roe v. Wade, I'm not saying like Roe v. Wade was like this miracle, like passing that we had where everyone was doing safe abortions. No, but it just drastically, drastically brought down the amount of unsafe abortions we were having. Women were dying at a slower, slower rate through like infections and different procedures going through. I was reading a statistic on Planned Parenthood because they keep like a record of everything, they plan it all up. And in their 2018 to 2019 statistics, only 400,000, I want to say, people in the US who had a permanent 393,000 unintended pregnancies were adverted by Planned Parenthood. So that isn't even including like the unwanted, like unsafe pregnancies where they didn't have access to that. And there are people with statistics that lived through it. Like that they, sorry, I'm trying to think of how I want to word this. They, Planned Parenthood does not do abortions first off. They give you all your options for us to go to through that. But everyone just views abortion as this like horrible thing. It happens in a dark alley with a stranger, with a coat hanger. That's like everyone, especially like being raised here in Utah. I remember that was like my view of abortions when I first heard about it when I was like 13. But that's nowhere near what it is. It's a safe, comfortable place in a room, in a hospital room with nurses, people who you can talk to. You can get different um, resources. You can learn about different women's experience. Like what you were saying with people who regretted it, they give you, they offer mental health services for after your abortion. If you don't want to keep it, if you don't want to have it, like if you feel guilty about it, they offer ways that you can cope with that. Um, so just to uh, interject here as well, um, so the statistic that I also mentioned from the ne from New York, uh, so is 99% of abortions were reported, so meaning that 0.1% of those abortions were illegal. And so, um, to also go further, you also mentioned Roe v. Wade. Let's talk a little bit about Roe v. Wade, because Roe v. Wade is something that's been 
in the headlines here recently and so forth. And I feel like a lot of the times people um, get confused on what Roe v. Wade actually was for. And so um, in Roe v. Wade, the majority opinion, so the background of Roe v. Wade, um, may, uh, pardon me, not a man, a, <laughs> a woman by the name with the alias of Jane Roe wanted to proceed an abortion and she could not in the state of Texas because state of, the state of Texas only allowed abortions whilst when the mother was at risk for her life. And so she sued the attorney, uh, the attorney general, I believe it was, whom was Mr. Wade. And eventually they came down to the majority decision, which was seven to two and ruled in Roe's favor. Now in that decision, the word saying, quote, the word person as used in the 14th amendment does not include the unborn. However, it went on to say, the state does, ha does have an important legitimate interest in preserving and protecting the health of a pregnant woman and still bound, uh, another important and legitimate interest in protecting the potentiality of human life. So really Roe v. Wade doesn't really go either way when it comes to that. It technically goes every, every which way <laughs> to put it in, crude ma in a crude manner. So in the way it was finally, it basically made a concurrent system saying that in the first trimester, abortions are completely protected under the law and that women have the right to privacy, not necessarily a right to an abortion, but the right to privacy with their physician to go and have that procedure. The second trimester, there are a few restrictions, but they're not, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, prohibited. And in the third trimester, states have a legitimate interest of prohibiting abortions in that third trimester. And that's how Roe v. Wade sort of laid things out. Reason being for the second and third trimesters, the state had the interest of protecting the woman's health. And so that's how it's sort of laid out. But however, the idea of the unborn wasn't exactly included in the Roe v. Wade decision. And that still has yet to be decided on by any Supreme Court case. And so, Emily, you mentioned Amy Coney Barrett possibly overturning the Roe v. Wade decision. Technically speaking, we don't know exactly what she would do, but it was set up by previous institutions that she would be against such a thing. Um, Sarah, what is there a... Let's let's talk about this idea of Roe v. Wade, because as it stands right now, Roe v. Wade is the law of the land. So at any point, regardless of a person's position, should Roe v. Wade be, well, not necessarily overturned. However, there are ideas of enfor different enforcement rules and so forth. So what's the idea? What's your concurrent idea of Roe v. Wade? Um, well, first off, I feel that any abortion just like because you don't want the baby shouldn't be allowed, but that there should be specific in certain circumstances in which having that abortion is a good thing. For one, if the woman had no choice in the pregnancy, so like a rape or something like that, I feel that the woman should be able to um, have that abortion because that wasn't part of her decision if there's incest which means that the baby will probably have lots of issues and not live a good life not necessarily be impoverished that sort of disadvantage but like literal mental and physical disabilities and then third is if the life of the mother is at severe risk in which case I do still believe that the baby should it shouldn't be terminated like they go in and kill the baby and then remove it. They should try everything they can to deliver the baby and do everything that they can for the baby while still considering that mother's life. Um, from what I have heard, 
you'll have to fact check me on this because I'm not absolutely certain, but I heard um, that the woman um, in Roe v. Wade who had that abortion, who got that passed later in her life did have serious issues with having that abortion and regretted being the cause of so many more abortion for women. Um, I think that that just kind of sums up the whole problem with abortions, in my opinion. It's like, oh, I was reading a book the other day with my father kind of about, um, about the history of black people in our country, black and white, but mostly black and um, how a lot, how a major part of their slavery and the reason why they were kind of, they were dehumanized almost is because people didn't value their lives. They, um, the whites and even blacks were enslaved by other blacks at some points, but um, they didn't value their lives the way they should. And that's why they were put in these situations where they were abused and all these things happened. And now as we're seeing, um, it's kind of a weird parallel to draw, but as we're seeing this problem with abortion in our country, I believe it mainly stems from the fact that we don't value the lives of those kids the same way we should as those babies, those people who could come into our lives, even if they're in poverty, they could be the person who cures cancer, or they could be the friend that stops me from committing suicide, or they could be um, the next president of the United States. Just because they have these disadvantages doesn't mean that their lives can't be full and wonderful. And I don't know, I don't think I really talked much about Roe Wade, but there you go. <laughs> The thing about them being born into poverty, they don't have access to stuff like healthcare because especially here in the U.S., we have really, really high like pharmaceutical costs, high doctor rates for even just a checkup. And when they're in poverty, they're exposed to many, many diseases. They can't get their vaccines that they need. So they end up with a lot more mental health issues. They end up with more physical like diseases that they can't help with. What's stopping you from being the person that cures cancer? What's stopping you from being that friend that saves someone else? What's stopping you from saving yourself? There are many options for us because we were granted with a lot of privilege in our lives. I'm not saying that their life isn't valuable. They value their lives. They can value it however they want. That's their choice. That's how they see themselves. But it's different to be born into a situation where you're never going to get higher without advantages like universal health care or free or discounted mental health services, especially for people who are in poverty? Well, arguably, the reason why healthcare is so expensive and things like that are so hard to get a hold of, education, especially college education, is so expensive is because the government has stepped in and taken part in that sort of thing if it was a private company um, and healthcare was in the hands of the people then I feel that that wouldn't be as big of a problem. I understand what you're saying, though. Yeah, I feel like we keep going back to. So, I mean, Emily, you mentioned how people who are born in poverty are more out to have mental health problems and so forth and things like that. 
Um, Sarah, you mentioned that even though they're born in poverty, they can still be something grand in the world. I think that because sort of, we keep going back to the idea of whether or not where that life, where life meaning is. And I feel like that's a big part of abor the abortion issue is where we believe that life begins and what recognizable thing is. So, I mean, what, in your in your two ladies' opinions, where does that, where does it begin? Where does an abortion become, like, where would you not support an abortion? And or afterwards, I mean, where does that life sort of start and where does it end? I believe that life begins when the baby takes their first breath. Full blown, and that's my wholehearted belief because the baby cannot function on their own outside of the woman's body. What was it? Where was the case? I remember talking about it in history. It's like, crap, what's the week date? It's sometime in the third trimester. This was a court case, and they made it. It's not at the very end of the third trimester, but it's not the very beginning. It's somewhere in the middle. It's that weekday. I can't remember what it is. 21 weeks. Is, are you talking about viability? Yeah, thank you, thank you, viability. That, or when their baby takes their first breath. That is when life begins because the baby can survive on its own and start building its own immunities and life and start working towards itself. But this, while it is in the women's body, unless it's like viability date past that, but beforehand, when it's in the women's body, it is surviving off of the lady is living off of her, what she eats, her nutrients, all that stuff. To bring it down to it, it's a parasite. <laughs> uh, before I move on to you, sir, I just want to probe what you just said there, Emily, just a little bit. Um, so when you say that, so, so when the baby finally takes its first breath and um, can survive outside the womb, does a baby actually, can a baby actually survive outside the womb? Um, when you say that, I mean, when a baby is born, can they actually fend for themselves and so forth? You know what I mean. Like, they well, can. I mean, well, I'm just probing it like, a little bit there. <laughs> they can have a bottle. They can have breast milk. They can take in the nutrients and absorb it on its own. Whereas when they're in the woman's body and they have the placenta, they are they still reliable on, reliable though on the mother after, I mean, after they start breathing. Because you also mentioned yes. that, because um, you also mentioned that it's when the baby's actually viable because even in the third trimester, the baby can actually still be viable. So would you be against any sort of late-term abortion? Oh, yeah. I'm not, like, I personally would never have a late-term abortion because once you're at that point, then that's when I start looking into, like, that's where I would look into, like, adoption agencies. But with agencies that I've looked into, I wouldn't just, like, randomly, like, throw my kid out into the foster care system. Like, I would like want to story. have... I would want to have a family lined up ready to take my child if it's in the third trimester. I would never let my kid go through the foster care system. That is not a good place to go. And, that, and I feel like that's an issue we can touch on a little bit later with the foster care system and how children are treated afterwards. But um, uh, yeah, um, thank you. I just wanted to probe a little bit there on that point. Uh, and Sarah, what about you? For me, like biologically speaking, there's no way to determine like when you have become you, right? But in my belief, as soon as that sperm and egg make contact, that is the person, you know, that in that little spot, even though it's just super tiny, 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 you have all the DNA that you're going to have in that little thing is what will become me 
the DNA that will create my eyes, my eye color, my personality, or at least aspects of it, as we don't know quite how much of it is nurture versus nature. As that baby grows and different things develop, your one of the first things to develop is um, your gender, right? Or your sex, not sexuality, um, your sex, your biological sex. So in the first couple weeks, I, in my mother's womb, had all of the eggs that I will have for my child, for, for my childbearing um, capabilities. I don't know if that was phrased quite wonderfully, but just so in my belief, as soon as that fertilization happens, there is life and there is a being inside of you. And um, something that I've been thinking a lot about lately is kind of how um, we talk to kids and we're telling them, oh, this will prepare you for your life and all this happens and how we need to stop considering childhood as like preparing for life. A child is living their life as soon as they take that first breath out of the womb and they should be treated as such. Does that make any sense what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I get that. Um, when you say that, so that well, you believe that it's when that unique ID, you, you, pardon me, <laughs> the unique DNA strands, like it's not entirely you, it's not entirely the father, but it's when that unique strand is made, is when then the life sort of begins. That, that's what you're sort of saying. Pretty much. Yeah. In my personal like religious belief as I'm thinking about this I believe that before I came to earth I was a being somewhere without a body right or spirits of some sort as soon as that connection was made between my mother and my father's reproductive um, cells I don't necessarily believe that I was in my body at that point, but that I was there. Does that make any sense? And then after this life, when I die and my spirit and my body are disconnected, my it, eventually they will be reconnected. And that body is especially important for my eternal progression. And that body, even though it, like I don't know exactly when I started inhabiting it, it was important to me and it was important to my religion and my life as soon as that happened. That was sacred and precious. So when you say that you believe in that, uh, that moment of conception, that unique form, is that more scientific or is that more religious perspective on your part? I would have to say both. Because one could argue, because one could argue saying that religion's aspect isn't quite the way to legislate. Does that make sense? Exactly. Yeah, I totally understand what that means or what you're saying. I know that my religion definitely plays a huge role in the way I think about this. But I also think that scientifically, it still stands up. Religiously is what is, has formed a lot of your ba basis for that. But you also believe in that scientific aspect of it. Yeah, like it doesn't okay. have to be two separate things. It's all of it is how I feel. Right. Because you and also, that yeah. Still plays a role for sure. 
Okay. All right. Well, that makes more sense. Um, so now we've sort of established on both your points about how, where life itself begins. Emily, you were saying it at um, the moment of birth when the barely draws its first breath. Um, Sarah, you're saying that it begins at conception when that unique form is made. Um, let's go on to a topic that we were just talking about here, because this is something where a lot of people actually go against abortion. Like, for example, a majority of people, at least like it's like a 52% margin, I think the last poll that I saw, but I mean, given the last two elections, you can't really trust polls. But the point being, the point being is that about 52% of people in the country support some way, shape or form abortion. Um, however, when you go to the late trimester abortion, where about from according to CDC statistics, which I have right here, um, 1.2% of abortions occur, and that number goes up to 80% that they don't agree with it. And that's quite a large jump to make from like a majority of people supporting something to not supporting something. So where, I mean, so Emily, we heard a little bit of what you were saying about um, late trimester abortions. You wouldn't yourself agree with that. However, would you say that, um, would you not, do you believe in a person's right to choose up until that point in not just your personal sense, but a um, policy stance? Yes, 100%. It's not my life. It's not my body. It's not my business what that person does with their body, with their child. But you yourself wouldn't do it? Mm. Right. No, not okay. at all. Okay. Because that seems to be a big uh, defier in the pro-choice community. It's like you personally don't believe in it, but you don't think that should be denied. Right. Yeah, I like I know plenty of people who are pro-choice for other people, but pro-life for themselves. Like I remember in our psychology class, I think it might have been a day when you were gone though. We, we were talking. It might have been with. I'm trying to think of who it was, but well, I think I've heard this story actually. <laughs> I think the, I've heard this story. <laughs> they were talking Sean was about, telling me a little bit about it. <laughs> how um, they. It's just, it's hard with people because you can make your own personal decisions. Like what we were saying, you can see it from the re religious and the scientific standpoint. So from how it sounds you, based on like your religious beliefs, you would never have an abortion. But at the same time, who are you to dictate what women can do with their bodies? Yes, you can believe that life is sacred, but with what you were saying about like how you believe that you were a spirit beforehand, what is stopping that belief? So if an abortion happens, that that spirit just won't be transferred to another care cell, whatever it's called. But going back to sort of like the um, post, uh, post birth, um, uh, late trimester abortion, um, though po post birth abortion is something that's talked about in Virginia and stuff like that. Um, but going on to the uh, late trimester abortion, so in total statistics from across the country, about 5,303 um, third trimester abortions occurred in 2016. And so Emily, you sort, you've made your position clear. So you, would, you would, personally wouldn't do it, but you wouldn't uh, deny that to anybody else. You support the abortion up until the moment of birth. And I'm not mischaracterizing yeah, yeah. that, right? No, you're totally good. Yeah, I support All right. that. All right, um, Sarah, what do you think? Um, as you're talking about the statistics and how most people are like 50, whatever you said, percent of people don't necessarily support abortion or whatever until, and then when you got to the third trimester, the amount of people who don't support it jumped up. I think a lot of that is because like at first, like it's easy to abort something that doesn't even 
look like a baby. Like if you put a fetus and like the fetus of like a cow or like even like a fish inside of an egg, it's like hard to tell the difference. It's like so crazy how similar they look. And so I think that the thought of just like some weird, as Emily calls it, like a parasite inside you is easy to just be like, okay, whatever. Like, I don't even really care. Um, Humanizing. Yeah, dehumanizing it. But after a certain point, you feel, you feel it moving around inside you. You hear the heartbeat. You can uh, get an ultrasound and see the baby inside you. And at that point, it just gets harder and harder to um, rationalize. And I feel like most people aren't going to feel comfortable like, killing a baby, right? That's just not something that most people would support. Um, in my opinion, late-term abortions are, I mean, any abortion in general, just because I feel like is immoral, but especially, especially at that point, I feel like it's most detrimental to the mother. Like, even if the mother is having serious health issues and she decides that this baby is really, really, like, it is jeopardizing her life and she and her physician both feel that that needs to happen, that um, this could be really where a lot of that mental, um, what do you call it? Mental, the mental health can be completely thrown out of whack because, I mean, lots of people have miscarriages at the beginning of their pregnancies anyway, just as something's not quite right with the baby and your bo- it's your body's natural abortion, right? Something's not quite going right or whatever, and that is terminated. But to be the person who terminates that life that feels so close to what Emily feels is life, that first breath can be really hard for people. Um, Legislation-wise, I really, really feel that, I mean, the further along the pregnancy gets, the harder and harder it should be to get an abortion or even impossible to get an abortion at that point. And especially, like you said, that Virginia legislation that they were thinking about doing where you could even abort a baby up to 24 hours after the birth, which I think is completely insane and totally, totally terrible. But that's something that they were considering. Um, and one other thing that I've been thinking about this is, have you ever read the book um, Unwind? Have you ever heard of it? I've heard of it. Uh, what about you, Emily? No, I haven't. So it's this book that I had to read. Um, I believe it was ninth grade. Um, and basically the plot of the book is in the society, abortions are not legal at all. There, you can't get an abortion, but you can, if you decide after that baby is born, I believe it's like from the age of 12 to 18. If you believe that that child is not worth it at that point, you can basically get an abortion at that point where they unwind the person. So they take them to these places and then they don't necessarily like kill them, but they harvest them for all of their organs. And then they use that in the society for like people who have kidney failure, they'll have the kidney of a person or skin grafts or um, also all of the parts of that person continue on living. 
And even in that, I mean, it kind of like, it's the story of this boy who wasn't necessarily wanted. And I feel that if he lived in this society, his mother would have had that abortion and ended his life. And then he goes on and lives this life that is, he's impoverished. He uh, ends up, his mother um, decides that he's not worth it um, at that point. And then she basically gets an abortion, late term abortion, uh, very late term, if you consider it, because he was like 18. No, he wasn't 18 yet. Once you're 18, they don't allow it. But um, how he was fighting for his life. He's running away from the people who are trying to catch him. He eventually gets put into one of these places where they live until this procedure happens to them. And all throughout it, he is fighting for his life. And with abortion nowadays, I feel like just because that child can't fight for their life, it does not mean that their life shouldn't be fought for. Just because your mother doesn't value you doesn't mean that you don't have value or that you can't have value in whatever circumstance you end up living in. Um, and I believe that we should be fighting for these unborn children. It's hard for me to live my life and just go about my day and not think about how um, if a woman hadn't had an abortion 18 years ago, maybe, you know, I would have another friend or maybe that person would have been my husband, you know, like I will live without it and I can do things without these people, but it's hard to think of that. Like, I can't remember the exact statistic, but a, a sizable chunk of my generation was killed in the womb, which is insane to think about. And it's saddening to me. Can I offer like a, a thought proposition type of deal? What if you're in your late third trimester, everything's going good, you've done all the checkups, you have been married, you can support this child, but then you find out at like the very beginning of your third trimester that your kid is going to have an extremely rare disease where they're going to live no longer than six, guaranteed. But they're going to be in and out of the hospital constantly. They're going to be looked up to like IVs. They're not going to have a supported life that they would if they were a healthy child. They won't have a, like a, a fun, happy childhood. What would you do? I would carry that baby to term. I would have that baby and I would love it as much as I could. I have cousins. I have a cousin who has autism, Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, severe asthma. She has diabetes and she wears the biggest glasses of her life. She can't talk at all. She can't walk at all. She can't eat on her own. She has to have her mother put um, insulin in her body so that her body can absorb the food that she eats. And she is precious. I just, I believe that even if a kid has a disability, it doesn't mean that they shouldn't have the opportunity to live their life. Um, I don't necessarily mean disability. Disabilities are different. Like autistic kids, kids with Down syndrome, they should not, 
if that is your only reason for aborting them, unless you do not think you can like properly provide for that child, then like that, honestly, I think that's messed up because then that just shows you're ableist. You have no support for the autistic community, but that's a whole different conversation. We can have another day, <laughs> but Working I mean, with like, round table part two, maybe possible. <laughs> continue. I'm talking about like, you know, that condition where your body doesn't age, but you're like, you're mentally and you like, you can look like a one year old, but you can be 20 years old. That comes with severe, severe issues like organ failure. It comes with mental like capacity depleting completely. There have been so many kids that have lived up to like 15 having a condition like this and then just ending up in the hospital, racking up millions or thousands, I meant thousands, not millions, thousands and thousands of dollars in debt for their family that they can't afford causing that family to go into poverty. So you're saying that that life might not be worth living just because they might have these mental and physical disabilities, but how is that different from having a child who has autism or who has I'm saying that sort of thing? I their feel like those life, both disabilities. Their life isn't as valuable of a child who is, I'm trying to think of how to word this. So someone who is guaranteed to live till the age of six, let's just base it off of that like guaranteed with the original thought that I said, they're going to be in and out of hospitals their entire life, hooked up to IVs. The only thing they're really going to know is like inside the hospital room. They're not going to know much about that. The thing that comes with that and with our healthcare system right now is that their life isn't more valuable than the life of their family. So if they have like four people in their family, mom, dad, two kids, and then they have that one kid that can cause thousands of dollars in debt that can cause those kids to not have the rest of their lives because they're constantly working, working and working and working to help their parents pay it all off. Watching their parents like suffer and their whole like life capacity just slowly shrink because of this one child that Yes, they could have raised it. They could have loved it for their entire life that they had, the short amount of time that it was there. But it's going to leave more of a scar in their that way than I think as they're, like, having and losing that child, if that makes sense. Well, I guess what you said, one thing that you said in particular stood out to me was how the, the life of that child is not worth more than the life of their family, than the mental stability of their family. But in rebuttal, the life of that child is not worth less than any of the other children in that family. Just because they're not going to live the life that I get to live with a healthy body and a happy family doesn't mean that that life isn't worth living. And even though it can cause hardship, hardship causes growth for that family, for that child, maybe that is what turns the mother and father um, to be more charitable in life. They see other kids who have this same problem. They see other couples who are having these children who are really hard. They are hard to have, right? These children that are maybe considered a burden 
and they can support other people in that community and they can love that child for as long as they have it. And sure, it'll leave a scar, but so does surgery. And surgery helps us get healthier and grow. And so can children like that. I think that that life is precious, short, but precious. The life can have value. I'm trying to think of how I want to word this because I, I had a train of thought and then I lost it. I apologize. I do that a lot. That's why like some of my ramblings will like start off one way and then like head to another. Hey, it's all good. Don't you worry. This is a <laughs> rambling okay zone. All right. Don't worry about it. But yeah, Emily, I'll give you the last word here that I want to move on to a section that I think we can both, both of you can agree on. Okay. That child is going to be in so much pain and torment by themselves, like just physically being in and out of that hospital like constantly being hooked up to IVs, like just being in such a hard situation that I just, I don't see the point in giving that, I don't know how to word this without sounding like a huge, can I curse on here? I prefer not. It would give me more time to edit, <laughs> but I mean, if you wanted to, go right ahead. <laughs> I'm, just trying to say, I'm trying to think of how to make this sound like I'm not an no. asshole. With it, that like, was the bleep right there. Dang it. Oh, God, Emily. <laughs> I'm joking. Go ahead. I'm trying to think of, like, how not to, like, phrase it like that. But, like, I would I would not want to put my kid through any of that hardship and pain that they're going to feel in those six years. That's going to be more of an intense pain than they can ever feel in their life. And, yeah, I mean, uh, I get that. Okay, I mean, good section there, you two. I mean, I feel like we did agree, agree on a few things, right? Would you, wouldn't you two say? Yeah, mm -hmm. I would say third so. Third trimester. Yeah. We agree on third yeah. trimester. And that's something else I actually wanted to touch into. Because, I mean, before all this, I mean, Emily, you sort of made the distinction that um, abortions are involved with healthcare, And that's what an abortion is. It's technically a med medical procedure, right? And so, I mean, when we're talking about healthcare, well, let's talk about um, measures beforehand. Emily, you mentioned sexual education. Uh, you also mentioned contraceptives, if I recall correctly. Um, and yeah. that's something that a lot of um, pro-life people uh, maybe not a majority of pro-life people, but a, a sizable portion uh, sort of agree on to compensate. Does that make sense? Like a lot of, like for example, you mentioned the, the uh, pover impoverished community, um, which have a less access to contraceptives who can't necessarily prevent these things. And in one sense, it's technically that's the choice right there. I mean, I feel like it's also a distinction between pro-choice and pro-life is that sexual sexual activity. And now let me make sure I'm, I'm clear on this. We both of you agree that rape and stuff like that, there should be an avenue there for the women who have been raped and should be able to have an abortion, correct? Both of you agree oh, yeah. on that. Yeah. I mean, see, yeah. look at imagine that. We can find common ground. Holy cow. Anyways, <laughs> the point. Next thing, next thing. So yeah, both of you agree on that. And the very fact, and Sarah, you mentioned this because the woman doesn't have a choice in the matter, right? Right. And then we but also can I say real quick? Go right ahead, yeah. Um, I do know personally somebody who was a result of a rape. Their mother got raped and she kept the baby. And I'm not saying, like for sure, I'm not saying everybody has to do that, but I still think that, I mean, I think that there's more than one avenue for people who have that uh, forced upon them. I mean, so even if, I'm not saying that it's not necessarily like okay to get an abortion if the baby wasn't part of your choice at all, but I'm also saying that there are other options as well. Do you agree though that there should be an avenue for those who are raped? 
Yes. And then we also both, we all, both of you also agreed on, I keep saying we like I'm, t I'm participating here. Um, <laughs> both of you also agreed that uh, in the cases of incest and threats to the mother, there should also be an avenue there. Yes. Not necessarily the, um, the only avenue, but as, as Sarah was saying, but definitely a avenue, right? Yes. Right. Okay. So see, look at that. We agree on, you two agree on something. There we go. <laughs> now, so let's, uh, let's talk about some um, preventative measures. So like contraceptives, um, better sexual education. Emily, you mentioned in the state of Utah that the edge sexual it's education sad. here, uh, <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, the point being, <laughs> point, point being, oh my point gosh. Being, <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. I'm sorry. I saw an opportunity. I took it. Point being, point being, there are definitely preventative measures and, and sort of in that sort of aspect there, having sexual intercourse, right? I mean, you know what possibly could happen there if you don't take the proper responsibility. That's how I would sort of say there's a responsibility there. And, but the problem is sometimes people can't actually, can't actually have that responsibility if they don't have the tools to be responsible. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, yeah, what, so what is both of your opinions on like better access to contraceptives and better sexual education? So sexual education wise, I think especially now more than ever, we should teach it for more than just in high school. I know a lot of girls in middle school who felt like they were so grown because they were out here having sex with kids in high school. But that could have led to such severe situations that they were in so much trauma because they were like tiny, tiny people. Like, I mean, like no bigger around than my pinky. Like, they would have had such complications, and it most likely would have killed them to have carried a baby. But they didn't, they know that sex can cause a baby, but they don't have the knowledge or the, like, mental capacity to think about it. It's like... Say, uh, it's just, I'll let you continue, but when you say mental capacity, what do you mean? Do you mean, like, maturity, or do you mean something yes. else? Yes, like, maturity. Like, they understand it, but they don't think about the consequences. It's like when you think... Like, with people getting COVID right now, I'm just going to base it off of this, because this is the one example I can come into my mind. There's a lot of people out here, like, in the world, that don't think it's real, because it hasn't affected them personally. It's situations like that. They think like, oh, I can get away with it because it hasn't happened to me yet. I know how to use a condom. But they don't know that condoms only work like 98 to 95% of the time. They don't understand that birth control is more effective, but it doesn't, if you miss that pill one day, it doesn't work. You're going to skip it. If you take antibiotics when you're on birth control, it makes your birth control not work. They don't know that. And they need to know that, especially like, with vasectomies. Men should know that they have the access to get vasectomies and they're almost 100% reversible. They, if they like want to save themselves till marriage and they want to not risk giving anyone an unplanned pregnancy and get put them at that heart risk, that heart risk, that health risk, they can get a vasectomy and then when they get married, they can get it reversed. But a woman can't do that with her uterus. And they, just need to know this. Like they need to have access to this. They need to know where they can go for help about this. Like they need to know where they can go to go get a condom. They need to know where they can go to go get some cheap birth control. They need to know what different places will offer free or cheap like knowledge about this, like therapy or just different education classes versus like here in Utah, I know we're like an abstinence state. So what all we learn about 
is women reproductive organs, male reproductive organs, sex, and how it leads to pregnancies and what happens during pregnancy. That's all we learn. People who, like me, who are gay, we don't learn about safe sex for LGBT plus people. We don't learn about people who are transgender or asexual or agender. We don't learn about people who are gender fluid. We don't learn about that. And they have just as much of an access to like the health about this as well, because there are even a higher risk of unplanned pregnancies and unwanted babies in their life. And they're at a higher risk of being into poverty because they don't have access to this type of education. I think I agree with most of what she said. I do, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily think that abstinence shouldn't be taught because it's another form of birth control. And I think that just the ups and downs of each kind of birth control should be addressed. For example, if you take um, birth control pills, there are other things that can happen with your hormones. It can cause acne. It can cause other sorts of things that you don't like. Like with condoms, they're not completely reliable. They're like the least effective form of birth control besides pulling out, which doesn't always work. Um, uh, but like how other things can affect you and just how the act of having sex with somebody can affect you. That intertwines your guys's, um, it, there's like a thing that we talked about in one of my classes, how every time you like even touch with somebody, parts of your DNA cross and that makes forms a connection that like can be traced in your pheromones for like months. And so having sex with somebody is extremely emotionally um, captivating and physically, obviously, and there's so many aspects of it that we just never talk about in health. We don't talk about how when you have sex with somebody, it creates a, a bond that lasts for life. And so if you're just doing it for the feeling that can cause like huge mental issues with you, it can cause guilt, it can cause a pregnancy um, and all these sorts of things that we just never talk about. So I do totally agree that education is super important, but that education in all forms should be also emphasized. So we talk about um, pills, we talk about IUDs, we talk about condoms, we talk about abstinence. We talk because that's the form of birth control that I'm choosing and I want to know about it, right? So what are the benefits and how, um, how STDs are factored into all of this? Both of you agree, and let me know if I am <laughs> mischaracterizing here. Both of you agree that there should be expanded, there should be better sexual education, right? Yes. I think in regards to, and this is kind of where Emily and I differ, in regards to contraception and specifically like uh, ways to have, um, to avoid pregnancy there should be more education, but not necessarily about all the different forms of sexuality and all the forms of gender and all that sort of stuff. I think that that, if a person is interested, can they can find that information on their own with a simple search, right? So. But if that's that the case, then if I don't know if I'm straight, why do I have to sit there and learn about straight stuff? Why don't I have to learn? Why can't I raise my hand and ask a question without being judged in the room? Why do I have to go off on my own when you can go off on your own and learn about straight sex? 
why am I different than you because I like women and you don't like that? I feel like there's an argument there for why there isn't more sexual education in schools too because um, a lot of people uh, are of the opinion that that should happen at home. Does that make sense? Well, what would you two say to that? Because that is a, a genuine argument against, I mean, that's why a lot of parents opt their kids out of sexual education and stuff like that. It's because they teach them at home. Not to say that education's good, okay? A lot of parents don't want to have that conversation. I know I'll probably have a very interesting conversation with my kids one day. But the point of it being is that, I mean, that's a genuine argument against that sort of sexual education argument. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I remember, so in fifth grade, they did our maturation um, for my school. And at this point, I had already had conversations with my mom about my menstrual, menstrual cycle, about my dad, about just things in general. And I went to this, uh, my, what's it called, maturation class. And my mom went with me because that's just what you do. You take your mom, or if you're a boy, typically you take your dad. But um, even though it was talking about straight things and that's kind of what I was looking for, my mom came out of that like, gosh, that was really dumb. Like they didn't talk about several things that I think they should have talked about, even in regards to like straight sex sort of things. So I think that there's definitely room for improvement in all areas of the all things on the board. I don't know how to phrase that, but there you go. <laughs> Um, so, so also ringling back to conversation here, we, we've talked a lot about the sexual education sort of wing of this, but um, what about the better access to contraceptives? So, I mean, uh, Emily, you also said that Planned Parenthood doesn't just do abortions, although objectively the biggest part of Planned Parenthood is the abortion aspect of it. Um, Actually, that is a big misconception. I've, I've done a lot of research about Planned Parenthood. A lot of what they do is providing cheap and easy access healthcare for women. They provide more mammograms than they do for birth control. Like, little things that they send out, they provide more mammograms than birth control pills. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, and women's health and things like that. Matter of fact, President Trump actually had that opinion on the campaign trail during one of the presidential debates. And um, so, but going further from that, so better access to contraceptives, one argument. So regardless of what you think about this point, it's likely that Joe Biden will be the next president um, of the United States. One of the things that he proposed in his health care plan was that uh, publicly funded abortion, so he would refund Planned Parenthood. Another thing that he would say was that the public option that he's uh, opting for in Biden care uh, would be that uh, we'll actually cover abortions, but have more than that, it would also cover contraceptives. So your health care would pay for buying contraceptives and other things like that. So we're trying to expand some um, contraceptives across the board. Uh, what's y'all's opinions on that? Good. They hand out condoms for free. They give out condoms for free. They're like, oh, like, do you need some? Like, Ellie and I went down to the Pride Center like two months ago, and they just have condoms sitting out in a little bowl out there. But the access to get birth control, like good quality birth control that actually helps you and information about it is so hard to get to. And that's not just like contraceptive wise it's just like women's health wise because birth control does more than just like obviously than just like stopping a baby like there are some women who have periods that are just so painful and like hard for them that they can't like they can't move they are constantly throwing up they can't take medicine for it so they're on birth control to help with those types of medication deals obviously 
birth control is different for everyone. It affects everyone differently. Like with what you were saying, like how it causes acne, different hormone imbalances. But that's the thing. I would much rather risk having a few pimples and going through puberty looking all over again than have to sit on my bed, not able to move for more than four hours because my uterus is no. I didn't have a baby. I think yes, that we no. need to have, sorry, like, sorry. at school, we should have, I think we should have little pamphlets on the front desks of where to get information about this. Your health teachers should have information about where to get this. It's more than just an at-home type of deal, because there's a lot of people, especially, like, here in Utah, where we're a very conservative, religious state, there people don't talk about this thing at home. Like, I know a lot of people who've never talked about this. They've never talked about sex. I know a lot of people who come up to me, me and Ellie, because they're confused about their sexuality, and they don't know where else to go to because we're the only people that they know or feel comfortable with going to, and that's not okay. Um, sir, I'll let you have the last point on this, because so, um, we're gonna, I'm going to start trying to wrap this up here, and then we'll have some final few says on this. So, yeah, sir, I'll give you the final word on this, but then we'll move on to sort of like, like the concluding thingy. Um. One thing, I mean, I'm aware that abortions are happening currently and that sort of thing is happening, but I do not, I'm severely against uh, the government using my taxpayer money to pay for somebody else's abortion. Something that I don't agree with. I believe that that is killing a person. And so if that was really something that was being, uh, that the government was supporting, my money would be going towards the murder of something of, of a person and i just morally cannot agree with that so that is like really um i guess that might be a really conservative point of view but that isn't my point of view that would be really hard for me to like i'm writing my check for my taxes or what i don't even know how it works i haven't technically had to pay taxes because i don't have a job but um like having my money go towards that, it's the same, yeah, that would be really hard. It's the same kind of concept as like, if the government paid for everyone's college, say there's a person who's getting an art degree, I'm not saying that art degrees aren't important, I'm taking art classes right now, but like if they're going to get an art degree and then they never use that degree for anything in the society, I just paid for that person's hobby. And that's not okay with me, you know? Um, so there's the same sort of argument there. Um, I do believe that there should be more education on contraception and that sort of thing. So if you are in the position where you are going to have sex with somebody and you are not ready to have that baby, that it doesn't risk the life of the mother. It doesn't risk the mental health of the mother, the life of that child. Um, I would much, 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 much rather have there be more education on the contraception side than more abortions. Does that make any sense? Hey, totally, 100%. And uh, yeah, okay. So I think uh, unless you two had something more to say, I think we'll start uh, going to the concluding thingamajig here. No, we're good. All right, awesome. I mean, um, over the course of this discussion, I was going to plan it on being about 45 minutes. Uh, I just started this timer a little late. Uh, it's about been about hour 15 minutes so far. And uh, quite honestly, I think that was very educational. 
uh, on both parts. I mean, maybe y'all didn't really change each other's mind, but really that wasn't the point of this. Um, the point was to try to try to come together, talk about our different viewpoints, and actually respect each other by the end of it. Would you two say you would actually respect each other? Absolutely. One thing that I did want to mention um, is that, so Emily and I had a couple classes together throughout high school. And at one point I was, I think I was actually breaking up with the guy or he was breaking up with me. I can't remember. Either way, I was in the bathroom crying. This is really embarrassing, but whatever. Um, and Emily came into the bathroom and saw me crying and she and I, she like gave me a hug and wouldn't let me go until I had calmed down and I was ready to go back to class. And so I'm not necessarily saying that because Emily and I disagree that she's not a good person. She is an amazing person. And I know that personally from personal experience. And one thing I wanted to mention is you call this a round table discussion. And one thing that uh, is unique about a round table is that there is no head of the table, if that makes any sense. Everyone on the table has equal access to everything on the table and it's a circle, right? There's no corners, there's no cutting anybody off. And so I don't know, that's just something I wanted to mention that even though Emily and I disagree, I still love her and I still respect her opinion. So there you go. I know we don't agree on a lot of topics and there's not gonna be a lot we're probably ever gonna agree on, but I still respect you as a person 100%. You're your own person, you have your own opinion, your own identity. And as Matthew was saying, there's nothing about this that we can really change. Like this is just to get information about each other, like why we stand where we stand. So I 100% respect you as a person and who you are. And that idea will never change about you unless you like actively go out of your way to harm a person, which is interesting considering this is our topic, but. You know, I couldn't have said that better myself, you two, seriously. I mean, at the end of the day, um, we've just, I mean, like I said, ladies and gentlemen, we just discussed a topic about one of probably the most arguably contentious topics of the American electorate right now. And I mean, like Sarah was saying, they're still friends. I mean, Emily and Sarah are some of the closest friends I have. And really, I'm so happy to have both of them in my life. Uh, I don't know what I'd be, where I'd be without them both. And seriously, and I mean, uh, so both of you know my position and how I sort of think. I hope I was sort of fair to both of you when it came to that. Like I said, this isn't about trying to change people's perspectives. It's about coming together, not necessarily agreeing, but actually respecting people enough to actually sit and listen. And I think both of you learned something here today. And I, and I hope that you'll take away from this topic, being able to actually talk more about these kind of issues, right? It's all about that. Because at the end of the day, the United, the United States ain't gonna come together just because somebody's like, we need to unify, right? Now, the, the point being is that the only people who are gonna make us unify is people like us, the common people, sitting down and talking. So really, Sarah, thank you for coming. Emily, thank you for coming. Thank you for your beautiful points. And uh, thank you too for just being awesome people. I mean, really, I hope my jokes weren't too much. <laughs> <laughs> I make myself laugh sometimes. <laughs> At least I try to. But yeah, seriously, thank you too so much. It's really been amazing. Thank You're you one of my favorite us. people in the whole world, Matthew. Thank like, God. seriously, I love you more than life itself. Like.
God bless you. Holy cow. God bless you both. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the Flack with Drag podcast. Did you enjoy today's episode? What would you like to hear about more? Remember, we just talked about abortion going downhill from here. We can agree. We can find common ground here. We can find common ground on anything. So ladies and gentlemen, God bless you. Thanks for tuning in and have a wonderful day. God bless.